The question before the rest of us to begin with is, what's a pastor to do? What's a pastor to do? Now, on the face of it, that doesn't sound very relevant to most of us, because most in this room are not pastors. And yet, if you think about it, it's very relevant to us, because what pastors do affects Christians. Many in this room, I would venture to guess, are Christians. And so it's a relevant question. What's a pastor to do? Well, that's important because what pastors do affect Christians. And let's think about this. It's relevant because what pastors do and what churches do are almost inseparable. And here we are at Omaha Bible Church. What's a pastor to do? Well, that's very much relevant to what a church is to do. And so that question actually is a very important question for us. What's a pastor to do? It's important because some pastors have identity crises. Some churches have identity crises. And they're always looking for what they're supposed to do. Or maybe the next thing in life or the next trend to come along. It's also important for us today because one of our pastors, Pastor Rob Clay, who's down here in front, um, is about ready to leave us. He and his wife, Amanda, and their children are moving to Imperial, Nebraska. And uh, Rob is going to, in two weeks, assume pastoral responsibilities at Imperial Bible Church. That question, you can know for sure, is before Rob. What's a pastor to do? Not that he's never thought about it before. He has settled convictions about the matter. But it's relevant to him because he's entering into a new ministry, the new senior pastor of Imperial Bible Church. What's a pastor to do? This morning, it's going to be a worship service as normal, and we're going to study God's Word as part of worship, but it's also going to be a commissioning service. At the end of the service, we're going to have Rob come up here, and we're going to have our other pastors come and pray for him as we uh, want to send our love and our affirmation of them as they're going. What's a pastor to do? I also want it to be good for us as a church uh, because it's New Year's, time of resolution, time of making sure you're thinking straight about what's most important. And and Omaha Bible Church needs to grapple with, what are we to do? Because it relates to us, too, in that sense. There are some pastors here today in the room, and so I want them to think in terms of what they're to do as well. It's a good time for us to sort of recommit our vows, if you will, as a church. Are we going to do what Christ calls us to do, or are we going to look for something else to do? to recommit, to resolve, to say we want to be relevant to Christ most importantly, and that will make us relevant in the right sense. So if you have a Bible, I'll invite you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and 4, and this morning we're going to talk about the ultimate priority for a pastor, if you will. Priority number one when it comes to his pastoral duties, by application, it affects us as Christians, by application, it affects us as a church. So 2 Timothy chapter 4, chapter 3, we'll look at both of those. And we're going to see that the priority is he's called to preach God's word. He's called to preach God's word. By way of application, Omaha Bible Church is called to proclaim God's word as well. And we're going to see this morning four reasons, four crucial reasons, four compelling reasons, four biblical reasons why every faithful pastor... Why every faithful pastor has to be resolved to proclaim God's word. Again, if you're here today and you're not a pastor, most of you, it helps you know how to pray for pastors, helps you to do your part so that we can be this kind of church. And how about this even? I hope it helps you to demand of pastors 
that they act like faithful pastors. To not settle for anything less. Let's look at reason number one why a faithful pastor needs to preach God's word. Why Omaha Bible Church would want to be a church that preaches God's word as well. And why our beloved Pastor Rob, as he goes, would want to be reminded that he needs to preach God's word as well. Reason number one, because of what it is and because of what it does. Because of what it is and what it does. Okay, so we want to be a church that proclaims God's word. Pastors need to proclaim God's word because of what it is and what it does. Reason number one. And by the way, we haven't gotten to it yet, but in chapter 4, verse 2 is the central command that says, preach the word. Okay? So I shouldn't have skipped that, but I did. We're going to get to it in a little while, but the central command in all of this is preach the word. This is Paul at the end of his life. He's writing to Timothy, a younger pastor. People write important things and say important things many times when they're at the end of their life and they know the end of their life is coming and they can plan for it. And here Paul knows it's coming. And so he gives his swan song. Timothy, as I pass the baton to you, I'm going to tell you what's most important in pastoral ministry as you pastor a church. Preach the word of God because of what it is and what it does. Look at 3.16 and 17 with me if you would. 16 says, all scripture is breathed out by God. So it's divine origin. What it is, it's God's word. And when we get to chapter 4, verse 2, when he says, preach the word, well, he's talking about the same word he was talking about in chapter 3, that scriptural word. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God, that's another term for pastor, a title for pastor, may be complete, equipped for every good work. So the first part is what it is. The second part is what it does. Think about that for a second and think how significant it is. Why would a pastor who's called to preach God's word preach something else? It doesn't even make any sense. If we really believe that the Bible is God's word as it claims and as Christians have historically believed, we really believe it's divine origin, why would we preach ourselves why would we pretend like we're life coaches why would we pretend like we're something other than what we are and that's preachers of god's word god has spoken he's spoken in a way that we can understand and he's called his spokesmen if you will to be heralds preach the word it's god's word If I really and truly believe, and if a pastor really and truly believes, if a church really and truly believes that the Bible is God's Word, they're going to preach God's Word. They're going to do it. If they don't believe that, they can say they do all day long, but the proof is in the pudding, so to speak. What comes from the pastor? Well, we want to make sure that we're resolved in preaching God's Word because of what it is. Not to mention what it does. It transforms. It equips for every good work. It equips. It equips the pastor. It equips Christians. It equips churches. Think about that. He says every good work. If that's really true, and the Bible says it's true. As a Christian pastor, I believe it's true. It equips for every good work. It, it, as some translations put it, it thoroughly outfits us. We have everything that we need then why would we preach something else? And by the way, not to be negative, but when we don't preach God's word and have that be priority number one, it shows that we don't really believe 
in its sufficiency. So we want to resolve and commit and we want to see our beloved friend and pastor, Pastor Rob, as he goes to pastor a new church. He knows these things. These are already gut level convictions, heart level convictions. But we want to remind him, remember to preach God's word because you believe it is God's word. Not only that, what would be most loving? To give people that won't really help them in the long run? That's not most loving. What, what is most loving is to give them what will change their life. Thoroughly equipping them for every good work. You preach God's word reproving, rebuking, exhorting. Because it really, truly changes people's lives. It might not be the quick fix. It might not be the shortcut. It might not be what people are looking for. But as a Christian pastor... You preach God's Word because of what it is and what it does. And so this is really helpful. It's helpful for me. I'm recommitting my vows, so to speak. It's helpful for our pastors here, the ones who are staying, the ones who are going, the ones who are in training. But I hope it's good for you as a part of Omaha Bible Church too to say, you know what, that's right. I do believe that. I'm committed to that. I want to support that. I want to be a part of that. I want Omaha Bible Church to be a church that proclaims what really helps people. It really transforms people. Get a preacher talking about preaching and who knows what could happen. Let's go to number two. A second reason why a faithful pastor is going to commit to preaching God's word as priority number one. Number two, because God requires it. Because God requires it. Now, God is nice enough to, to show us the cash value, so to speak, in 3.16 and 17. It transforms lives. Wow, good. Thank you for giving us the rationale, God. But he doesn't necessarily have to. And here he just says, do it. <laughs> Which should be ultimately reason enough if God says. And we're going to see that God says in verses 1 and 2, we're, as we work our way through these important two verses, we're going to see that, that God requires this of pastors. 2 Timothy 4 verse 1, I charge you. I memorized it originally in the New American Standard. Some of you carried that. I solemnly charge you. And that's an, uh, an appropriate way to translate it because it's the context of solemnity, sobriety, seriousness. What we're about ready to see is a courtroom scene. There are witnesses not just any witnesses. Paul is going to charge Timothy and he's got witnesses and wait till you see who the witnesses are. He's going to commission Pastor Timothy to be faithful in preaching God's word and let's go ahead and see who the witnesses are. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Wow, that's serious who is to judge the living and the dead and by His appearing and by His kingdom. And if you're Timothy right now, your knees are going like this. He starts by, I, Paul, I charge you. And you think, at least in 21st century, you know, question authority, bumper sticker, love America. Big deal. I, Paul, I charge you, chapter 1, verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. An apostle is one who speaks with the authority of another. 
he's an apostle of Christ. And so when, when he speaks, it's as if Christ speaks. And so here is Paul, an apostle. He has that kind of authority. That's why I like to say, you know, your Bibles are red letter Bibles. Not just the sayings of Jesus, the sayings of the apostles too, for that matter. Because if Paul says it and he really is apostle, an apostle, he's not a faux apostle or a fake apostle. He's really the real deal. He has Christ's authority. So he says, I charge you, Timothy. Oh, and by the way, not only do I have the authority of Christ, the witnesses before me, uh, God is a witness. You know, you're doing this. Christ Jesus is a witness. And you're going to stand someday in front of him and you're going to give an account. We like to say fear is not a factor. When it comes to pastoral ministry, fear is a factor. You've got God watching. Oh, and by the way, he's called to preach God's word written by the Spirit of God. So this is a Trinitarian ordeal. You go, wow. This is serious business. And again, this is written to a pastor, and I don't want to overdo the application in a broader sense. But I do want to keep reminding you that Timothy's pastoring a church called the Church at Ephesus, a church not altogether different from Omaha Bible Church or a church like this. And you can't really separate the pastor's ministry from the church's ministry. I don't do ministry apart from Omaha Bible Church, and Omaha Bible Church doesn't really do ministry apart from me. And so let's, let's all feel some weightiness here of this courtroom scene and accountability. This is serious business. You can hear a pin drop. He needs to fear Christ more than he needs to fear the opinions of men and women and committees. There's accountability. It's good. Everybody needs to be accountable, right? We see what happens when people aren't accountable to anybody. Power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely, as the saying goes. It's good to have accountability. I'm thankful for accountability. I'm thankful for accountability with fellow pastors. I'm thankful for accountability I have with fellow Christians. Accountability I have with my wife, fellow human beings. Those are, those are good and helpful things. But the most important accountability that's emphasized here is Accountability to none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. To whom everyone will give an account, but here the pastor is going to give an account. Did you preach my word as a Christian pastor or did you just steal the title? I solemnly, soberly, seriously charge you. And then the command comes. Verse 2, preach the Word. Preach the Word. I'm willing to go out on the limb and say, I think that's the command of all commands to pastors. Paul's last letter, last chapter, right before he gets his head chopped off. He knows it's coming. He's going to say what's important. And there are other important things. But I think we can say this is the most important thing. Preach the word. Herald the word. The content is clear. It's the word. Preach the word. If you need some synonyms to understand what he means by the word, you can go back to chapter 3, verse 16. It's scripture. Then he uses another word for scripture in chapter 4, verse 2. 
word. Then keep going, if you would, in chapter 4, verse 3. Uh, he talks about people who won't endure sound doctrine. That's a, that's a synonymous way of saying what he was saying. Sound teaching, healthy teaching. That's another way of saying the word or the scripture. Then in verse 4, he uses another synonym when he calls it the truth. Preach the truth. Preach sound doctrine. Preach the word. Preach the scripture. But what's so interesting in Second Timothy is... The whole thing is, is gospel-drenched. From start to finish, it's about Christ, and it's about the person of Christ, and it's about the work of Christ. And that's another synonym, you could say. It's gospel. Because central to the Word, central to the Scripture, central to everything is the one mediator. Central to the whole thing is Christ. Central to the whole thing is the gospel. Preach sound doctrine. Preach the truth. Preach the Scripture. Preach the Word. Preach the gospel. Preach Christ. That's what he's calling him to do. Notice what it doesn't say. He doesn't say preach new revelation. It's preach the scripture, preach the gospel, which is a finished work. It's, it's not ongoing. It doesn't say preach your experience, preach your opinions, preach yourself. It's preach the word, preach the scripture. Say what God has said. It's pretty straightforward. Pretty clear. I don't want to get bogged down with extra biblical quotes and kind of betray this whole thing, but sometimes it's helpful to have others see this for what it is and what it isn't. There's a super helpful book about this subject called The Supremacy of God in Preaching. See, because when we, when we preach the Word, we're preaching something that's God-exalting, not sinner-exalting. I like what John Piper says in that book, The Supremacy of God in Preaching. All Christian preaching should be the exposition and application of biblical texts. Our authority as preachers sent by God rises and falls with our manifest allegiance to the text of Scripture. I say manifest because there are so many preachers who say they're doing exposition when they do not ground their assertions explicitly, manifestly in the text. They do not show their people clearly that the assertions of their preaching are coming from specific, readable words of Scripture that the people can see for themselves. There's at least one, it's not a perfect test, but it's a little bit of a test. Is the pastor doing this? Is he preaching the Word? Is he preaching the Scripture? Is he preaching the truth? This, well, look in your Bible. And if you're not seeing it in your Bible... He's not preaching the Word because He's not preaching the Scripture because you're looking at your Bible going, I don't see that. I hope even in this sermon this morning you can follow along in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and 2 Timothy chapter 4 and go, I see it. I see the rationale. I, I see it's, it's manifestly clear here. God says, preach the Word. Preach the Scripture. There's a thing or two said about the method of delivery. Do notice he does say in chapter 4, verse 2, preach. Preach the word. It's a word for public proclamation. And let's counter that a little bit culturally. He doesn't say share the word. Though it sounds a lot more um, PC. He doesn't say share the word. He doesn't say anything even like that. He doesn't say have a conversation about the Word. He doesn't say discuss the Word, even though those things are really good. 
and helpful in other settings, he says, preach the word. Who likes preaching? The Bible even calls preaching Christ the foolishness of preaching. See, God knew. God knows. It wasn't like, oh, preaching's all the rage back in the first century, man. And everybody loved preaching. So that's what they did now. But we really got to get with the times. People were like people now. Paul even calls it the foolishness of preaching. Who, who likes that? Who likes somebody to get up and raise their voice and say, this is what God says? I don't like that. I want you to share. I want you to give me your opinions. Maybe we can go back and forth. And, and yet, he says, public proclamation. It has authority to it. I'm going to quote a, a, an elderly man because it just sounds nicer that way. Okay? Couldn't hurt a flea, little elderly man. I think he's still living. In Paul's day, a ruler had a special herald who made announcements to the people. He was commissioned by the ruler to make his announcement in a loud, clear voice so that everyone could hear. He was not an ambassador with the privilege of negotiating. He was a messenger with a proclamation to be heard and heeded. Preach the word. Herald the word. With authority, you say, this is what it is. Now think about how bad that is if I'm not preaching the Word or any pastor. Here's what you must. And you're like, man, where does that guy get his authority from? You see, you can't really preach without being perceived as an egomaniac unless you're preaching the Word. You still might be perceived as an egomaniac. But if it's God's word, you can preach it with authority. And a reasoning person can say, that person is not necessarily an egomaniac. He's a Christian preacher, so he's preaching Christ's word. It's different. Actually, it's a humble act. The height of arrogance would be for the representative of the king to come and say, let's have a dialogue and negotiate. The height of arrogance can be, well, I know that that's what the king says, but, but let, let's negotiate this. Here's what I think. That's not humble. That's called unfaithful. Preach the word. Again, if you're a pastor, you've got to have that gut level conviction because God says so, you're going to preach. Not yourself but Christ and His Word. If you're not a pastor, I so badly want you to be demanding of it. Pastor, preach the Word. I know, even though it's not always comfortable, I know it's what leads to long, long-term change. I mean, think about, for those of you who are here who are mature Christians, how'd you get mature? Because you just were you know, born again knowing everything? No, you've got to learn things. And sometimes learning things is hard along the way. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. See, mature Christians aren't going to say, you know, stop preaching the Word of God. Mature Christians are going to say, that's how I grew to be who I am. Please give me more. 
Mature Christians are going to be the ones who want to go to the pastor's office and when the sign says office on the outside, they're going to tear it down and put up the, the title that says study. Because I need the word of God preached to me. That's how I've been growing spiritually because I can hear God's word preached, proclaimed. I want to be that kind of church. I want to be that kind of pastor. How about this? You, you, you can know about me or a pastor you can know about me if I don't do this. A couple pretty important things. You can know that I'm not afraid of Jesus. No matter what I say. Proof is in the pudding. Think about it. I can say I believe in the inspiration of Scripture, the infallibility of Scripture, the inerrancy of Scripture. I've even written on it. I believe in the sovereignty of Jesus. And, and you can know that I don't really believe it if I don't preach it. If I don't preach His Word. Because I'm acting like I don't answer to Him one day. You could otherwise know that I don't believe the Bible is God's Word. If I don't preach it. Oh, but I do, I do, I do. I signed this statement. You need to know that I don't really believe it. If I don't preach it. Because if you really believe that it's the word of Almighty God that transforms people's lives and equips for every good work, you couldn't keep somebody from preaching it. So you know by what people do more than by what they say. He talks a little bit more about how to do this. And the rationale behind it, how it's carried out. Look with me, if you would, at verse 2 again. Notice I'm able to say, look with me at verse 2 again. Be ready in season. That means when it's popular and seems right. And out of season. When it doesn't seem right and, and it's not popular. In season and out of season. What's he saying? He's saying you do this all the time. In season and out of season. Because God says so, in season and out of season. Sometimes it's popular. It's kind of been cool and not that recent in, in recent days that, that, that serious, sober-minded, straightforward preaching has, has enjoyed some popularity. Not all across the board, but there's definitely been an upsurge. It's been kind of nice to be liked by more than your family, you know? But it's not always popular. And the real test will be among the people enjoying this when it's not popular. I was interviewed one time on a radio show and the guy sort of tongue-in-cheek said, you mean to tell me you do expository preaching? Isn't that a little passe? Isn't that a little out of, out of style? And this was probably 14 years ago. And I said, I guess so, but just don't tell any of the people at Omaha Bible Church that. <laughs> Preach the Word. It's what changes people's lives. It's what God says to do. It's God's Word. Preach the Word in season and out of season. You see this resolve idea. The pastor's got to resolve himself to do this because you commit ahead of time so that when it's easy, you're still doing it. And when it's hard, you're still doing it. 
So you've got to resolve, you've got to determine that this is how it's going to be. That applies to a church. First and foremost, it applies to a pastor. Gut level, heart level, this is what I'm going to do absolutely no matter what. Even if they show me the door, this is what I have to do. And I know it's what honors Christ, and I know it's what really shows a love for my fellow human being. Because it's what they need. They want to have their lives transformed, or they need to have their life transformed. What's more to this commitment is uh, a little bit about the tone. We're still focusing on God says so. But it's in season and out of season. But notice it's not always positive. So it's going to be out of season sometimes because in verse 2 it says, Reprove, comma, rebuke. Reprove and rebuke. When you preach the Word of God, you reprove. And when you preach the Word of God, you rebuke. To reprove is to tell somebody they're wrong. And to rebuke tells is to tell them to stop. How about that for popularity? Um, I can be as nice as I need to be and try to be and smile and, you know, put on deodorant and um, just try to be charming and couch it in illustrations and all that kind of stuff and say, what you believe about Jesus Christ is wrong. How's that going to fly? Nine times out of ten, it's not going to fly too good. Oh, and by the way, what you believe about Christ is not only wrong, stop it. You seen the stop it video? You need to see the stop it video if you haven't seen it. What's that? Is that New Heart? What is that from? Just look up stop it on YouTube and just find out my counseling methodology. Um, Stop it. Reprove, rebuke is that's not right. Stop. And again, this isn't mean-spirited out of antagonism or animosity, but if we're talking about Christ and who He is and what He's done and His sufficiency and His greatness, and, and if people aren't affirming that, you've got to say, you know, that's not right and you need to stop believing that. We're going to get to the positive part in just a second. Or it might be not only about what you believe, about, but about how you're acting. To say, you know what, that's not appropriate Christian behavior. You say you've trusted in Christ to forgive you of your sins and to reconcile you to God and, and you're trusting in Him and Him alone. But you need to know that as a Christian, you, you have been born again. You have the Spirit of God in you and now you're not enslaved to sin anymore. I've got to tell you, you need to stop that. You need to stop that. Reprove and rebuke. How about this? Uh, let's go out on another limb, I will, and say faithful Christian preaching has to have a negative component. Has to have a negative component. There's no way around it. Preach the word in season and out of season. Reprove and rebuke. If everything is always positive and wonderful and great and negativity turns people off, you can't be a Christian preacher. Because you're not talking to people who already know everything. And you're not talking to people who already are doing everything right. It's impossible. So you're called to preach God's Word that, that is going to confront and it's going to mold and it's going to shape. But there has to be... I'm not saying we have to always get up on the wrong side of the bed or always be all about what we're against. That's not the idea. We're getting to the positive part. But if there's not the negative part, you're assuming everybody is already perfect. And that means you don't have, need to have a job anyway. Doesn't even make any sense. Reprove, rebuke. There's a certain confrontational element involved. Think about John the Baptist, who was known ultimately for one thing 
He was a preacher. And do you think he got his head chopped off? Because he said, smile, God loves you. You're such a good person. I just want you to know that Jesus came for you because you're a good person. They would never have chopped his head off. He came preaching correction because he came preaching repentance. He came telling people what you believe about Messiah, what you believe about salvation, what you believe about the Savior is wrong. And so you need a fundamental change of thinking about who Jesus is, which will result in a change of behavior. He reproved and he rebuked. Now, about now, I'm thinking, why did I sign up to be a pastor? I don't know about you. Even as a Christian, you know, it's just like, oh, man, I'm going to tell them the good news. Yeah, and we're going to get to that. And it's really good news. It's awesomely great news. But the good news makes no sense apart from the bad news about you (laughs) and the bad news about me. This doesn't make any sense. Reprove, rebuke. Okay, we're going to get to the positive, I promise. Verse 2, exhort. It's at least (laughs) semi-positive. You're going to say, here's what's true. Here's who Jesus is. Here's what Jesus has done. Here's why you should trust in Him. This is the positive side. We're not just the negative people. We're saying, no, that's not right, but here's what's right. Here's what's right. And then he says something about the difficult nature of the task in verse 2 where he says, with complete patience and teaching. This isn't going to happen overnight. This isn't going to be easy. So a pastor and a church by extension needs to know that this is going to take some patience. This is a long haul kind of thing. Martin Luther said that when we preach the truth, the dogs will begin to bark. He told Philip Melanchthon, preach so that if people don't hate their sin, they will hate you. It's not inspired scripture, but pretty interesting. Because you love people, because you love Christ and are accountable to Him, you're not going to stop preaching the Word. And that's going to mean reproving and rebuking and exhorting with great patience and long-suffering. And you're not going to stop. And God is either going to use that in people's lives for good He'll use it for His glory no matter what. Or, you're going to be the object of ridicule as a preacher. What I wrote down in my notes here is, where are these pastors? Where are these pastors? I'm thankful to know some. I don't claim to have arrived. Let's be a church that prays for these kind of pastors. Let's be a church that commits to, by God's grace, helping to train these kind of pastors. Let's be a church that that supports these kinds of pastors. 
I want, I want to be the kind of Christian. I want you to be the kind of Christian who, who is maturing and who, who longs for God's word and the truth of the gospel in Christ to encourage a pastor who's doing this. I want to be that kind of church, that kind of Christian. Let's move to number three, and I promise these will go faster. Number three, every faithful pastor must commit himself to preach the word of God because some in the church will oppose it. Because some in the church will oppose it. Verses 3 to 5. Talk about resolve. Look what it says in verse 3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine or sound teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. And everything according to context is going to not have these be the people, you know, those people out there, the atheists. Timothy, you as a Christian pastor in a local church, you resolve, you commit to these things because a time is going to come, a season is the word, a season is going to come where people won't put up with it. People who say they're Christians. All the more reason again resolution, resolve, commitment ahead of time. I've got to do this because sometimes people who even wear my same jersey are going to say, no more. No more. That's a serious matter. Preach the word. Commit to that for a time is coming when they will not endure sound teaching. They won't endure the word being preached. They won't endure the gospel being preached. Think about it. Well, that's because they're tired of being reproved, rebuked, and exhorted with all authority. That's why. Isn't it interesting that he uses the word sound teaching, sound doctrine? It's healthy teaching, healthy doctrine. It should be the very thing we're lining up for. I, 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 I need the medicine. I need, I need the nutrients. Pastor, help me. Help me to think. Help me to grow. Help me to learn. I need what is sound. I need what is healthy. And Paul is telling Timothy, he's not saying that that will never happen, but he's saying there are going to be people who are going to say, that's the very thing we don't want. Timothy, you've got to give it to him anyway. You've got to give it to him anyway. There might be disdain. There might be intolerance. Or biblical preaching, but you got to give it to him anyway. And stop and think about the loving kindness of the whole thing. If it's healthy for them, what do you do for your children if you have children? You, 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 you give them the medicine. Thankfully, we don't have to give them the big syringe, you know, all the time. But there are times when, you, you know, you do the hard thing for your child because you love them because it's healthy for them. But a time will come when they won't endure sound, healthy teaching. Timothy, be a good spiritual parent. And don't hate them in the name of love. Love them, even if it's hard love. One thing we don't want to have is Pastors gauging their success based upon popularity. Because here in our passage, here in our text, 
Paul's telling Timothy, there's going to be a time, there's going to be a season in your life where you won't be popular. Remember you're going to stand before God. Remember it actually is what is best. Now for some more gory details. How did this get so negative? Well, it's, Paul's a realist. Verse 3. But having itching ears, the New American Standard translates it, wanting to have their ears tickled. Having itching ears, they will accumulate. See, these are people in the church, no doubt, because they're accumulating teachers. They will accumulate. Literally, they will heap up. They will pile up. They'll have an abundance. They'll overindulge. They'll be gluttonous for themselves, teachers to suit their own passions, their, their own strong desires, their own, you can translate it, lusts. See, that's what's natural. That's, that's me. That's how I want to be, right? Let's be honest. That's how we want to be. I have desires, strong desires, and I want to find teachers that affirm my desires. Now, it's not Christianly to think that way. Because I really want, we need to want what's healthy. But Paul's saying, hey, Timothy, you better resolve, you better commit yourself, because what's going to happen is people are going to heap up, they're going to amass, they're going to fill their iPods full, if this is 21st century. With all the downloads. And they're going to love to hear what they want to hear. They're going to want a pastor to tickle their ears. See, it's not physical touch, but with their mouths, it's what they want to hear. And he uses that image of tickling. Oh, that's nice. You know, reproving, rebuking, that boxes your ears. And you go, I'm tired of hearing that. Tell me what I, tell, just, just tell me I'm a good person. And so I'm going to find those guys with their million dollar smiles. And I'm going to submit myself to them, as many as I can find, who are going to say, Pat, you're good. It's just your environment. It's just those other people in your life. You deserve better. Pat, you're such, you're such a good person. I sound like I'm talking to my dog. Oh, little Ozzy's a good little dog. Pat, you're so, you're, you're so special. You're so good. And God saw you as so worthy that He had His Son Jesus come for you. And I want to go, that's right. That's right. I, I am good. And, and even though I don't always do what's good, I know that I'm good inside. But the Christian preacher is going to say, no one does good, no, not one. Oh, you might do good externally, but in your heart, Jesus says, you actually are corrupt. And the Bible says that while you were an offender, while you were a spiritual rebel, insurrectionist, oh, let's just use the Bible word, enemy of God, Romans 5. While you were against God, He sent His Son for you. To die for you, even though you're the one who deserves to die. Well, at least on one level, I don't like that, do you? I like the guy with the smile, who makes me smile. Not the guy that makes me wince, who's got crooked teeth. Timothy, you better commit yourself. 
So I say this to myself. I say it to Pastor Rob. I say it to Omaha Bible Church. You better commit yourself. You know it's right. But you better commit yourself because there are going to be people within the church and they're going to heap up, they're going to pile up teachers in their life that are going to tell them what they want to hear. And it's going to make life hard for you. I'm looking for the escape hatch. I'm looking for the chicken exit. Timothy might be looking for the chicken exit. Paul's saying, oh, no, 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 let me encourage you. And he's going to get to that in just a little while. Collecting life coaches. Collecting people who will tell them what they want to hear. Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 31. I mean, if you think this is kind of hardcore, read the prophets. Um, Jeremiah 5, 31. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule on their own authority. And my people love it so. You know, we're always concerned about those people outside of the church. You know, those bad unbelievers. Nine times out of ten, as a pastor, give me an unbeliever any day to be my friend. In comparison to an ungodly person within the church. They love false doctrine. They love false teaching. They don't love Christ. They don't love the gospel. Prophets prophesy falsely. The priests on their own authority. And the tragedy of tragedies in Jeremiah is, and my, God's people, my people love it so. It's just a bad thing. Well, a pastor needs to know that and be committed and commit to the long haul. How about verse 4? Verse 4 says, And we'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And the idea there is a passive idea. If they heap up these false teachers to tell them what they want to hear and they turn to that and they turn away from the truth, they're going to be passively wandering off into myths. You know, now they're, now they're like a ship without a rudder. The rudder's gone, and now they're just game to go wherever. Being turned. Verse 5 says, As for you, even when it's hard, even when they don't want you, as for you, always be sober-minded. I like that. I like that good reminder to us. Always be sober-minded. Think clearly about this issue. It's God's Word. It's about the glory of Christ. You're going to stand before God. It's what's best for people. If you really love them, this is what you're going to give them. And yet you might see, see in a clouded way and you might not be able to see straight because it seems like there's so much pressure even from within the church to not give them what they need. And you might somehow think wrongly. And he says, be sober-minded. Amidst the pressure, amidst the pressure from people who are really vocal, Amidst the pressure from people who, who have a lot of sway. Amidst the pressure from people who, who, who really seem to maybe be your undoing. He says, be sober-minded. 
Above all other things, you're talking about Christian ministry before Christ. Always be sober-minded about these things. In other words, you know, think clearly because uh, you, you, otherwise you're so quickly going to end up prostituting yourself for, for somehow temporal, temporary prosperity. I want to say that again to Omaha Bible Church and say, be sober-minded about what we're going to do this year. Think clearly. Be sober-minded. Omaha Bible Church isn't for sale. Let's put it that way. The pulpit isn't for sale. The pastor's ministry ought not be for sale. In season, out of season, resolved, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. This is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to be about, no matter what. And as a Christian, I'm going, yes, that's right. Because I know I'm not as mature as I am, not claiming to have arrived. I know I'm not as mature as I am as a Christian. Apart from people preaching the Word of God to me. Lovingly, loving me enough to help me. Loving me enough to help me with my thinking, with my doctrine, with my living. And so here I am saying, that's right, Pastor. I want you to think sober-mindedly. Then he says, elaborating on the sobriety, endure suffering. Well, you're not going to endure suffering. You're going to cave in if you're not thinking sober-mindedly about what's involved. Then he says in verse 5, do the work of an evangelist. Do the work of an evangelist. One of two ideas in view, perhaps. One would be, do the work of an evangelist. You know what, Timothy? You should evangelize those people who say they're Christians in your church. Because based upon what they're doing, they need to be evangelized. <laughs> I'm up for evangelizing anybody. I love to be evangelized as a Christian. Bring it on. Do the work of an evangelist. Could also be the uh, more positive. Timothy, another way of saying preach the word. Because if you're preaching the word, you're preaching the scripture. And if you're preaching the scripture, you're preaching the truth. And if you're preaching the truth, you're preaching sound doctrine. And according to the context, you're preaching the gospel. And an evangelist is a good news preacher. So you just keep preaching the good news. Week in and week out, you just keep giving them the glory of Christ. You, you keep doing the work of an evangelist. And that's what you will do if you're sober-minded, if you're clear-thinking. You just stay on task. Keep preaching the good news about Christ and how He's a great Savior from sin. He's a great Savior from the penalty of sin. He's the great one who came to earth and did everything right on behalf of everyone who would ever believe because no one else has ever done what is ultimately right since Adam. Keep preaching that truth. Keep preaching the truth about Christ going to the cross voluntarily to atone for our rebellion. Keep doing that. Keep telling people about the great resurrection of Christ. How about this? Keep telling them the good news. Now think about how perverse this gets and how twisted it gets. So much of what I've been saying this morning, I'm, I'm already, you know, I'm such a compromiser. I, I'm so insecure and such a people pleaser, I'm going, man, this is kind of a negative sermon. Right? 
You would too if you were standing up here, unless you have a couple screws loose. You know, I mean, I don't, who likes to get up and say, reprove, rebuke, exhort, uh, you know. People in the church are not going to do the right thing, and it just sounds kind of negative. But think about this. Do the work of an evangelist. Timothy, do the work of a good news teller. Do the work of a good news teller. You see, sometimes it's the actual good news teller who's portrayed as the bad news teller. And we've got to get this clear in our heads as pastors and as Christians. We've got, we've got, we actually have good news. The good news is you can be reconciled to God. The good news is Christ is sufficient. The good news is He is the great and extraordinary unmatched mediator, the one and only one whom you need. He came here and He said things like, Come to me, all of you who are heavy burdened. Trust in Christ. Trust in Christ. You see, this is good. Yeah, sometimes I need to remember that, that that actually is the good thing. The bad thing is for me to stand up here and say, everything's going to be okay. You're a good person. Liar. I'm the liar. Just do your best. Everything will be fine. God helps those who help themselves. I have just told you anti-gospel. I've just done the work of an anti-evangelist. I've just tried to damn your soul to hell. I've just called God a liar. See, I've got to get my bearings straight. (laughs) I do have to tell you that you have the disease. Never settles well. You have the SIN virus. Okay? It's fatal. Got to tell you that. But I've got to get my bearings straight. I'm doing the work of an evangelist when I tell you that. I'm doing the work of a good news teller. Because I'm telling you about the antidote. I'm telling you about the victorious one. I'm telling you about the good one in whom you can rest. And we can know that God will accept you and embrace you if you trust in Him. We know that that will happen because God was so satisfied with the work of Christ that He raised Him from the dead. And right now, He is the ascended one who's at His Father's right hand and the Bible says He's interceding for us. He's there on our behalf. That's good news. That's good news. Then he says in verse 5, fulfill your ministry. That's a great summary statement. Fulfill your ministry. Well, he just told him how to fulfill his ministry by doing these things. If you're a Christian pastor, you do these things or you don't fulfill your ministry. Pretty straightforward. Come heaven or high water, this is what you do. Number four, finally, every pastor has to commit to faithfully preaching God's word. Number four, Because Christianity depends upon it. Christianity depends upon it. Verses 6 to 8. 
And what I mean by that is from a human perspective. From a human perspective, you better do this, Pastor, because if you don't, who will? Paul's passing off the scene. He knows he's going to die. He's giving Timothy the baton and he's saying, you've got to do this. Now, I know that God will always raise the people up. And if God spoke through Balaam's donkey, then he can you know, do without me and he can do without you. But the pressure to be felt is he's passing off the scene. So it's time to grow up. It's time to take it yourself and be the man that Paul had been. And to be mature and not expect somebody else to do it. Let's go ahead and read these verses. Verse 6. For I, the Apostle Paul, am already being poured out as a drink offering. Uh, My life has been a sacrifice and I'm dying and my death is going to be a sacrifice uh, of sorts, of, of gratitude. And the time of my departure has come. So it's urgent. It's serious. I have fought the good fight. I'm not a quitter, Timothy. Don't you dare be a quitter either. You've seen my life. My life hasn't been altogether good or easy. I have fought the good fight. So you too is the implication. I have finished the race. It's been a grueling race. Timothy, you need to do the same by implication. I have kept the faith. Both personally, I have kept the faith. I've persevered to the end, through the end of the race. I've also protected the faith. Timothy, you do the same thing. And here's why it's so worth it in verse 8. Henceforth, There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, this isn't just for apostles, it's not just for pastors, this is true of Christians, and not only to me, but also all who have loved His appearing. How about that? He starts off with this courtroom kind of scene and it's going to be scary and you're going to be accountable for this. And Paul's saying, you know what? I've lived my life in light of this and I'm not afraid of his return. In fact, I'm eager to meet him. By God's grace, I'm eager to meet him. And this is true of Christians. This isn't just true of me. We've taken him seriously and he's seriously trustworthy. So we've got that anticipation of his return. We're waiting for his return. Because we've been doing what he's called us to do as Christians and as Christian pastors. All right, we need to be done, so I'm going to go ahead and pray. Father, thank you for our time together this morning. Thank you for these good reminders this new year for us as a church, for our pastors and for our pastoral interns and for the pastors who will listen to this. Thank you for these classic words for all Timothys who have ever come after this Timothy and who will come afterward. Thank you so much for Rob and Amanda and their children. Thank you for their years here of service. Thank you that we've been able to co-labor for the cause of Christ and the glory of the gospel in this place. Encourage them as they go, um, as they have encouraging days and as they have trying days. Bring them the encouragement that can only come through Christ and through His Spirit. Lord, we are weak and incapable apart from your grace. And so help us to realize that and to know that. In Jesus' name, amen.